Okay, take two. <laughs> Do you I need explain to yourself one more time? <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. Um, so my name is Finn. I go by and say them pronouns. Um, yeah, yeah. I do. Thank you, Cisco. <laughs> uh, I am fairly new to the D&D community, about four years. Um, I work as like a school board therapist. I do a lot of like individual and group therapy, which is where most of my D&D therapy comes in is I run it through groups. Um, with those groups, I focus more on like social skills and like kind of mood disorders. I don't really like the word disorders, but it's the technical term we use at work. Sure. So yeah. I was going to ask you this question, Ali, question nine, but it's coming up. What is it about D&D? Like, it seems like, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I would probably never interact with you um, unless in like an online D&D community type situation. And it seems like people from different backgrounds can just play this game. As long as everyone's cordial, it, it tends to be pretty good. What is it about D&D that... For you, uh, why is that? I think it's kind of like the shared ability to kind of involve yourself in like escapism, right? Because like, obviously, like not not everyone who plays it is like, oh, I need to like escape my life. But it's this idea of like being able to engage in a fantasy world where you have these abilities that you may not necessarily have in the real life, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'm glad you said that. At work. You can ask any of my friends at work. I'm always like, you guys ready to escape this reality and go to D&D this weekend? It's like the, the thing I say all the time. So I totally relate to that. So Yeah, I think like a lot. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was like, I just think a lot of it is definitely this whole like idea that like it gives you these abilities that you can suddenly obtain. Whereas like in our, our reality, there's a lot of things where it's like there's a lot of barriers telling you like I can't do this or like I struggle to do this. Whereas like there's always some solution that's easily accessible with D&D or other like TTRPGs. Yeah. In your opinion, would you say like being able to play a new character that's like a different expression of you is something that people kind of cling on to as well? My last character was a really large Goliath, but he was like a really nerdy dude with glasses and it's like a part of like me, I like really wanted to be like this really big dude, but also he's almost useless because he's like a clerical Goliath, but it's kind of cool. So what do you think about like expressing yourself that you wouldn't normally do in like a setting in D&D? Oh, yeah, I think that's great because I think like that, I think that ties into the appeal, right, is you get to explore parts of yourself that you may not get to in real life or like in ways that you might not feel comfortable or safe doing in your everyday day to day life. For sure, for sure. So just to go on, you prefaced this conversation uh, by saying you prefer they, them pronouns, um, and that's considered cisgender, if I'm not mistaken. Can you explain to a layman like myself, like what, is that, what does that mean for you, and how does that pertain to D&D, if at all? So I actually... I actually don't identify as cis um, because okay, I identify as non-binary. Oh, okay. no, no, no. It, the terms get very confusing. I find... It's very common if you're not involved in the queer community. It's quite hard to kind of catch up on everything because sure. there is a lot of history. Um, like, so for me, like, my definition of cisgender is, like, you were born and identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. Um, whereas, like, I don't really identify as either, and I don't really see it as a spectrum of male or female. I kind of see it as a web for myself, at least. Um, 
Sorry, I forgot the question. I am like no peak ADHD today. No, no, no. It's just just explain what what that is for those who don't know, like what you kind of identify as, and um, what yeah. does it mean in D and D. And we'll go on to like what it means in D and D in a second. But um, okay. So for me, it it just means like I don't really fit within an understanding of two genders. I don't really see or believe that there's just like only two genders. Um, and so for me, I. I kind of just vibe as like a beige looking blob is how I kind of joke with the kids and identify. Um, like I, I do, I am aware that I have like very feminine presenting qualities. And in regards to D&D, I think it's it's kind of a joke among my queer friends and I where like a lot of people realize that they weren't cisgendered through playing D&D. Like a lot of my like trans friends will be like, yeah, I played like male or female, vice versa, depending on like what they were born as saying like yeah like and then i kind of realized oh this fits me so much better than it does for sure and i think it ties back to the whole like you identify like you can explore parts of yourself that you can't really in real life for sure for sure um and when when did you like realize like hey this might be this like non-binary ethos might be something that i'm looking into i know it's like not necessarily like something you look into i'll try it like when did you start realizing in life like hey this is this is me um so it's actually quite funny i spent a lot of my early like mid to like late high school years thinking i was like um trans like f to m um but then like i tried exploring that in university and kind of realized that like i didn't really identify as male either and got really confused Mm -hmm. i spent a lot of time in online forums and i came across someone's definition of like non-binary which is like you exist within a space that is uneasily identifiable, but you are also uniquely you. And I think that kind of is what started me on the path of identifying and realizing like non-binary is like the label that fits me. Yeah. So you like saw that and you're like, oh, that's like, that's me. Like, that That's what I relate to. Yeah. That's like exactly how I didn't play D&D until later in life too, uh, a couple of years ago as well. Same as you. But I was on a deployment with Cisco and uh, Twisted in the army and we were people were playing dnd i'm like what is this what is this game i like you know i'm a huge star wars fan what is this so i played it i played my first session and afterwards i was like i'm playing this forever like there was no doubt in my mind like, this is what i'm playing for the rest of my life uh and you know that's how this all started um moving yeah forward, like though, it, it it just sorry, fits <laughs> oh no that was just being a meme yeah 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 um moving forward on this how does your non-binary form does it affect relationships inside the game or when you get inside the game it's just nope i'm you know a male orc or a female this or how does that work for you and is it different um i i tend to play either gender neutral or male characters um i i do play some female characters just not as often yeah but I, I've also been fairly lucky in the spaces that I've been able to occupy where a lot of people have respected that. Um, obviously, like I know with like gender neutral pronouns, it's hard for some people to kind of transition or shift towards that language because it is a learning process for a lot of people. Um, but like for me, like the way it kind of also affects the way I play is because I'm primarily like a forever DM. I 
I always do like what I call consent packages or consent files, depending if it's online or in person. And so like a lot of my sheets will say like, what are your pronouns as a player? And then what are your character's pronouns? Just because like not everyone plays with matching pronouns. Sure. Yeah. Uh, going to the forever DM, I feel you there. Uh, once you become like a DM and people start liking you DMing, it's like, oh, this is what's happening now. I'm just a DM. Forever. But when I do get to play, it is fun uh, for sure. Um, but being a DM is cool. Being a DM is cool. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it is very you cool. You just miss playing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's it's fun to play with the group, um, for sure. Um, do you watch Critical Role and or Dimension 20? So I watch Dimension 20. Um, mm-hmm. I am a bit more of a podcast person than I am like a live play person. Yep. Um, just because like I'm, I'm someone who likes to always like be zooming. Like I'm always on the go. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to listen to podcasts. Um, I really want to watch Critical Role. I've seen Exandria. It's just like there's so many episodes and catching up is like very intimidating it's, to my brain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um. Yeah, I'm on. I didn't watch campaign one. Oh, have you seen Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon? I've watched one episode. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not a big TV person. Oh man. Oh man, you just do your own thing. Okay. All right. You're like the only person I ever met. It's like, no, I don't watch Critical Role. So. Really? Uh, I'm yeah. Sure like, oh, me, me and my nerdy, nerdy white male dad friends have nothing better to do than watch TV. So. Um. So yeah, I mean that's fair. Yeah, we don't. I mean, we all have kids, so like we just you know sit around, play Dungeons and Dragons, watch TV, I guess. Um, going into your characters in D anD D, what is your favorite PC or NPC that you've played, and why? Oh, uh... okay. I'll start with. Um... I'll start with PC. Um, so like in my like most recent TikToks, I have like this kind of like blue Aladrin character. Um, they like, sh- so they use all pronouns. So they go by like they, she, and he. But like the reason they were my favorite was it's also the campaign because the DM had made a twist on the world where like a lot of the fae tended to be more evil aligned versus just chaotic. Um, So my character had come from like a clan of evilness and there was like this really fun tug and pull between all the party members between like what was good and evil because we all came from different planes. Um, Unfortunately, like Yukio only made it to level 19 because they like sacrificed themselves for the party. So everyone else got to 20 and I was like, okay, I'll see y'all there with a new character. Just right there. That's rough. Super close. Um... NPC, I'd probably have to go with Alice, who is like this short little old halfling lady. Um, mostly because like she she was someone that I did not anticipate my party liking. It was just like a one-off, like you're stopping in this tavern. It's run by some cute little halflings. And they ended up coming back to this town multiple times just to check in on Alice. And it became this thing where I kind of started giving her um, dementia a little bit, where like they would roll on like a wild magic table almost, and she would give them trinkets. And so sometimes the trinkets would be something like really valuable. Sometimes it would just be like a Werther's candy. 
Isn't it funny how your most benign NPCs become like world breakers out of nowhere? Yeah, like I I just made up the name Alice and I was like, I hate this name, but it's her name now. <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Well, my, uh, Alice? My notes say Alice somewhere, so that's her name. And then she ends up being like at level 20 with them and they go, someone like retires with her. Yeah. It's funny how that, I had a... Uh, a white dragonborn, and I was just like, oh, just chunk your white dragonborn, you meet him. And they, the group just could not get rid of him. Like, he was there for, like, four episodes, and I was like, he's just a white dragonborn. He's nothing to do with anything. And now he's, like, lore in our campaign. So, fully yeah, understand just that. vibing, guys. Um, I did catch in one of your chats, and I could be wrong about this, but you have some Japanese ancestry, if I'm not mistaken? Or family? Like, family. So, um... Like, I've grown up with a lot of, like, Japanese culture, but it's, like, so my parents are both Vietnamese, but my mom is, like, full Vietnamese. My dad is Vietnamese Chinese, but then my mom's mother, like, my grandma was adopted by a Japanese couple. So it's kind of, like, just I wouldn't call myself Japanese. Yeah. Just because, like. <laughs> For sure. Um, speaking on the Japanese culture, I'm, like, a huge fan of a lot of Japanese things. Um, Toyota is a huge Japanese company. They do really well. I'm a huge fan of sumo wrestling, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of koi oh. fish, and I'm a big fan of the UFC, which started originally Ultimate Fighting Championship, if you're not familiar, MMA, which started originally with Pride in Japan. And if you go back and watch those Pride fights, just to like give you like an update on it, like the crowd is dead silent. Even at the most like extreme fighting scenes, they're dead silent. Like the, the community is like really respectful and everything. Um, so if you go into Japanese culture, you'll see like their workmanship's amazing. Their woodworking is second to none. Uh, their auto industry, their watch industry, Seiko, everything they do is like extremely like precise. And there's a whole culture with Japan. Man. Now bringing that into D and D, so, yeah, bringing that into D and D. No, it's it's okay. Um, but bringing that into D and D, I've always wondered like, this is like such a market. Like the Japanese culture is such a market to bring into D and D for so many characters, and they haven't really done it. Um, do you think it's time for them to do something like that, like the Asian community? Because I've said it to Cisco maybe three or four times. Um, okay, I have like so many thoughts zooming. Um, first of all, we'll have to talk outside of this another time because I could go on like a three hour rant about like the shift from like Japanese feudalism to modern day capitalism and how samurai traditions have like transferred there. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, That'll be the next no. episode. <laughs> I, I definitely think so. I think my fear, though, right, is um, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, other editions of, like, D&D was, like, 3.5 Adventures into the Orient. Yep, I know exactly what you're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, talk about. You know? A, it, was a, it was a disaster. I've it, heard about it. Yeah, uh, but if you guys want, like, I'm happy to share, like, in the Discord or, like, with whoever's interested in the chat, um, I'm actually converting... 3.5 right now into like a 5e module with like some different lore myself um just as a homebrew thing not yeah. like oh i'm gonna share it with the world just like because i i do like that kind of stuff and i want to try and incorporate it but i think wizards of the coast is like slowly moving there yeah, yeah. a little bit like i think it's the new citadel adventures that they're having are going to be kind of cool from what i've seen yeah it's it's always hit or miss like i know that they did the artificer and i was like this is going to be the coolest thing ever and they released it, and I was like, this kind of sucks, and I'm not happy with it, um, just with the attunements and everything. So 
Um, but bringing, bringing back to that Japanese culture, I don't know if, like, I think there's so many things in, like, Japanese culture, and I'm not even talking about monks, but you could make, like, a sumo version of monk and just base the whole lore off of legitimately how sumos operate their day-to-day. Um, or so many things. But I think there's a huge market out there. And, um, yeah, maybe we should collaborate and do something. I'd definitely be interested to hear your thoughts on it, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think I think the thing right now is, like, there's a lot of patriotism that happens with like Japanese gaming and stuff um and like a lot of their stuff is like based around their history like uh, this is gonna sound really nerdy um I don't know if you've ever heard of like fleet girls um no it's like a genre of like anime girls and like video games they actually have a browser-based one um where like all the girls are just warships from like world war ii oh really and it's Yeah, like, there's a lot of focus around, like, Japanese history and modernizing it in their games, which I think creates, like, this sense of nostalgia no matter what year or what kind of era that they're in that kind of keeps them a little bit isolated. But, like, don't get me wrong, I love their games and I will continue to purchase them. Sure, for sure. Um, You were talking about making modules and homebrewing, and D&D is awesome. Like, the rule set, everything's awesome, but... One of the things that you'll see almost every, I don't want to say real DM, but every like DM that takes it really seriously is they all decide to veer off and go away from modules and do their own thing. You see Brennan from Critical Role, he, he, he's done, he's talks about doing like one or two modules and he was like, okay, I'm done doing that. And he does his world building, obviously Matt Mercer, uh, you just spoke about it. I do it too. What is like, what's the reason for a DM to just like get away from a module and start doing their own thing. I have my own opinions, but I'd like to hear, you know, kind of what what your thoughts on it are. I think there's like many different reasons depending on your personality. Um like something about myself is like I get more stage fright even with friends when I have a script to follow. Um but it's also like I know myself, I have a preference for sandbox games or like any kind of games that where you can build out the world. Um, I think it's very dependent, right? Um, just because I think people also like to show off their creativity. Yes. And because, like, how often do your players really stick to what's supposed to happen? Never. <laughs> so, like, it it gets really hard to follow a module when they're yeah. like, ah, oh, no, like, I'm gonna go do this. Exactly. Like, I think I tried, my first time DMing, I ran a one-shot because um, our DM had burnout. So I was like, oh, okay, like, I'll take over. These people immediately left the mansion, and the whole one-shot was like a haunted mansion one-shot. And I was like, perfect. (laughs) Great. I'm going to pull an adventure out of my butt. All right. We're going off script here. Yeah, I I agree with you. You pretty much nailed it. Everything for me as well. When you're doing, when we're like, especially like world lore, I guess started from like, I made my own world. I made everything. So in case someone was like, hey, what's up with this? I wouldn't have to like go through a page and be like, well, it says here on Google that, you know, Torm is lawful good. Like, no, I have my own you know, gods, I have my own things like that. Now I have a way in my world that if somebody wants to play a traditional God, there's like a, there's a story for it. So they can hundred percent. But if someone's like, Hey, what happened like 20 years ago? Or right now we're in a time loop. So they're back in time. So I don't have to like, look it up. I'm like, yeah, I wrote all this. This They're back in time at this point. This happens in this many days. I know it all. And I think most DMs can like agree with that. Like I need, I want to know every situation that happens. So therefore if it's homebrew i can know everything that's you know that happens and it's i think it's a richer experience personally overall 
Yeah, and like something I've talked to with a lot of people too is it makes prep time a lot easier because like I always make the joke that I don't really prep before sessions of my home games, but that's also like I I've prepped so much in the world building that it's like when you know your shit, you don't sorry, I don't mean to swear. No. Um I'm surprised we haven't swore like the whole time. <laughs> Because Twitch has like rules, so I try to be a little more like PG on Twitch. For sure. Um, but it's like once you know your material, you don't really have to know or prep as often as you do. Like yeah. I prep a lot for like my work games, but that's like because it's therapy. I'm not gonna like be like, oh, let's wing it. Um, Cisco just texted me. He said, "Sensational. Uh, we should collab on writing a Japanese style module." Um, which is something I said earlier. So maybe in the future we can do something like that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and and like to your point, like some of the best parts and going back to that NPC becoming a world breaker. Some of the best parts in D and D, especially for me, is I'll have the rules known and I'll have the town we're in. And if they just decide I want to steal this dude's you know sword and start running, like okay. We're the ch- this is the chase rules. We're in chase initiative, and we're going through this town. I already know. We're, it, now you're almost like just watching it happen. You're like, this is kind of cool. What's going to happen here? I have no idea, but you've done so much world building, and it's like, do whatever you want. Like, you know, I'm not going to railroad you to a certain place. Do whatever you want to do. It gets really fun, so I totally agree with you there. Yeah, and I think, too, like, it gives players more of that opportunity to actually, like, invest themselves into the world. Because when they know that they can actually impact the world, there's more of that investment versus, like, okay, we're going to run through this and, like, go do this. Yeah, absolutely. There's one thing. I've had a good DM experience and a bad DM experience. I've had one DM who's like, okay, you meet this person. I'm like, okay, well, I want to go over here and talk to this other person. Nope, you talk to that person. And it's like... Well, am I really playing D and D, or am I just playing like this most railroaded like module where I can't have the freedom to do what I want? And sometimes it's very frustrating. So when I became a DM, I was like, I don't. If they want to do whatever they want, if they want to like go off the beaten path and do whatever, you know, I got a set of notes here. Let's just do this together. So I 100% agree with um, uh, with that. Speaking to you being a DM. Yes. What what are you what are you involved in now? I know you're DMing online. Where can people find you? Um, what are you involved in right now? Oh my god, chaos. Um so Monday nights I stream on uh the Fable collection. Um uh, so I'm currently playing a paladin, which I'm like exposing myself here. I always talk about how much I hate paladins. Um <laughs> uh, she like she is also a character that I play on TikTok in like full armor, which yeah. like is not happening very often because armor is hot. <laughs> um, and then like I am also part of a podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of the show uh, Strange Days at Blake Holesley High. It's like early 2000s. That is like ringing familiar, but I, I can't say I have 100%. Yeah, uh, well, it's gets placed into a fantasy world um, where I play like a sword college of swords bard, which one of my favorite bards, uh, it's bad. I've played every bard subclass and then there's other classes where I'm like, I've played one. That's yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm soon to actually be joining another stream on Sundays starting May. And then I run four D and D games for work. I run one home game. I play a once a month 
home game as a player. And then I twice or once a month, depending on my schedule, I'll run one shots for forever DMs, which like my wait list is still at like 35 people. Oh my gosh. So you're like D&D. You were like D&D schedule to the max. I live and breathe D&D. That is what it is. Yeah, I can, I can see for sure. I thought my schedule, I have, I'm DMing one home game and I have a one shot I'm making and I think I'm in one other campaign that's about to start. And I thought my schedule was maxed out, but you're like four times that amount. If work didn't let me do it, probably not. But so going back know. to that, uh, what are the age groups of people that you typically for work, you typically uh, run a D&D campaign with? Um, so right now I have one game for six to eight, um, one game for fifth to sixth grade. So I think that's like 11 to 12. And then I have two high school games. One is 14 and 15 and the other is just like the grade 12s. Yeah, it's crazy that you, you, you mentioned this. There's two things I want, you know, I'm a father and there's two things I've kind of been thinking about as my kids grow up and everything. I came from like a very strict Republican, uh, like I, my dad broke my Xbox when I was 15 because I was in wrestling and I didn't make weight that, that day, like a very different situation. I didn't know about D and D at all, but if I had to go back in time and play D and D in high school, I probably would have never wrestled. Like that's how awesome D and D is. So to hear you say that you're getting kids like involved in it and it's, it's like really cool. Um, but going to that, like what, what changes for, uh, uh, what changes for those age groups as far as, as D and D goes? I mean, obviously Obviously, it might not be demons and devils and blood and, you know, dying or whatnot. And um, how does it change for them, like, gameplay-wise? Additionally, how does it change for them socially? Because, like, our game, you know, we're playing Degenerates. There's a, you know, emphasis on Degenerates. When we play, it's like nothing's off the table. Like, see, it could be a full evil campaign or it could be, you know, just really raunchy. So how does it how does it change when you're going from, like, fifth, sixth graders to, like, you know, obviously your your home campaign might be a little different? Oh, yeah. Um, well, the first is that, like, I'm very meticulous when it comes to, like, my work groups. Like, I don't accept all the clients that I because, like, my caseload for individuals right now is sitting at 60 clients. Uh, we're going to call them clients. Yeah. But, like, I only have the four games because, like, I sit there and I go through files. I think about, like, the therapy that I've been doing with them and, like, whether or not these personalities fit and will actually foster growth within each other. Because, like, yeah, part of it is to develop social skills, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to put, like, a student in harm of not getting better or, like, getting triggered. Sure. Um, obviously, I wouldn't do that in my home games either, but it's a little bit less stringent. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more, like, hard lines and no's that I just go with the kids. Like, we don't often touch on romance if they're not in the high school age. Not because I don't think fifth or sixth graders can handle it, but more so that at that point they're kind of at very different levels depending on like their family situations and i just don't want to involve anything that's not going to be safe yeah um sure. my home games right now are all online because like everyone's either far away busy or we're immunocompromised so it's just like but with my work games like the five to six year olds we do a lot more larping so like character oh, really? sheets look so wonky. I have chart paper for them. We've traced their bodies. Um, huh. 
D&D races, anything goes. Like, I have right now a flying monkey character for one of the kids. That's awesome. And, like, they have the stat blocks so they can see what it is. And we roll D6s instead of 20s and everything. So everything just gets modified a little bit. And then challenge ratings are out the window with that age group. I'm just like, you know what? Like, yeah. we play until you don't have fun with this combat. And that's how that's going to work. Yeah, I can, I can um, see that being a thing for sure. Yeah. I also do that with like the fifth and sixth graders too, where I'm like, you know, HP is basically how fun, how much fun you're having. Yeah. Just because like numbers, yeah, they're important, but like it's not to the point where it's like, oh, they're all dying and there's still like a hundred hit points left. Like there's no point in that. Um, yeah, Cause like sure. my first and foremost thing is I want my players to have fun. Um, so like with the high schoolers, I collaborate with the teachers and stuff. So right now, like some of the students I work with are in woodshop. So they're making prop weapons right now for our game. So like awesome. at the end of the year, I'm going to be taking them on a field trip to like an outdoor education area. And we're going to be doing LARPing. We're going to do is... some drama stuff with their English class. I'm hyped. Yeah, that is. What? What kind of school is this? Like this is, is this Hogwarts? Do you work at Hogwarts? <laughs> <laughs> I no. <laughs> Uh, well, so my unit is actually new. Like, I just got hired on this year. Um, the It's just because, like, with COVID, there was a lot of, like, stuff coming out about, like, how inadequate schools were for, like, student mental health. Mm -hmm. So they started a whole new unit of us. Um, it's not everyone in my role that does that, though. Like, I my team right now is 26 therapists. Two of us do non-traditional therapy. Everyone else does traditional therapy. So like the other therapist does like art therapy and then I, I specialize in like play and drama therapy. So that's why I'm able to do it. But I'm, yeah. I I can't think of a better therapy like than Dungeons and Dragons. But speaking to toxic players and toxic groups, D&D &D mm. seems to be one of those one of those games where it can be like you can have a very, very good group. Like you guys are super cohesive and it literally doesn't matter if you're in a tavern or you're on Mount Olympus. This it's like the best time ever. It doesn't matter where you're at. But on the flip side of that, like if you have one or two toxic players, it's like it doesn't matter what you do in the game. It's like it's like rough to play. It's almost like it's not even fun anymore. So, how do you find that balance or like what are your experiences with that in general? Um So, in terms of balance, if it's at work, we have like a very established safe word where it's just like, okay, like this conversation's done. We're going to pause here for a second. Um, obviously it de depends on like the age group. Yeah. Like a, like a six year old, they don't really understand like safe words right away. So sometimes I'll just be like, you know what? I think it's time to pause. Let's just like notice how our bodies are feeling. Like we're getting all tense. Our faces are hot. It's time for a break. Um, with home games, I will tend to say, you know what, like, let's table this for now and we'll have a discussion after session. Um, there are times where I try to avoid bringing, like, my therapy stuff into home games, but, like, stuff like triggering or, like, harming other players, I'm like, no, like, we're going to table this, we're going to stop, we're going to talk. Um, I generally give the rule of two strikes. First one's a warning. Second one is, like, we're done. Um, I'm a little bit firmer with that stuff just because, like, Mental health is really important to me. So any of that stuff where you hurt other people, I'm like, it's a no-go. Um, I've had really awful DMs uh, in terms of toxicity. Um, so like when I was a kid, I did not have a lot of friends. Uh, I So I would like try to join games at game shops 
because like none of my cousins were into D anD. d It was just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I had like a DM try to engage in a lot of like inappropriate stuff and it was just so uncomfortable. And I was like this like 14 year old kid and I was like, I'm out. Goodbye. And then that was why I never touched D&D again until like four years ago. I was like, nope. It is so weird how every every person I talk to that goes to game shops for games has almost the same experience. They're just like, man, those games, I tried to go in this game shop, but it's like not the right crowd at those game shops. Everybody I've talked to, like literally, there's probably six people that I've talked to who's like, man, I'm trying to find DM or D and D game, and they go to a game shop, have this weird experience with like the crowd that goes there. So it's really funny you say that, but I totally believe uh, uh, believe what you're saying. So yeah, I mean, oh, sorry. no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was like, there's a theory that I've heard a lot of people like talk about where it's like a lot of people who tend to take on these roles in game shops are people who like take on this confidence of like i'm an expert in this and like that's always a red flag to me in any field if you think you're an expert in something you're not (laughs) maybe not yeah because like it it's the same in like any area not just D. like i remember trying to get into warhammer and i like fully bought a set of like army people i'm not in warhammer now and like this guy just like was like i'll show you how to play and then i found out later it was like a special edition thing where like he just it wasn't on the board normally and then just made me lose and was like yeah your army's garbage like don't join and i was like okay cool yeah that and yeah that's yeah that's a good point you made if someone says they're an expert it's something that they're most likely not uh, i yeah i know some some dms who are just like yeah i'm the best i've done all these games when i dm there are certain rules i have like you know if especially if it's like a, an advanced group I'm going to be like, hey, I'm not going to let you do this, 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 and that. But other than that, the world's yours. But the only reason I do that is for so it's fun. Like, I don't want guys to just run through the big bad in one second. Um, so I'll give them, like, a harder task or whatever. But I'll never, like, I'll never just be like, uh, okay, you're making me mad. You're going to get attacked by a draft. You know, something like that. Something silly. Like, it's always got to be fair and fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. And it's so weird. Every time I go into those, those uh, stores – I see the same thing everybody does. It's like the same group of people talking about – it just don't seem to be the community that I associate with when I associate with D&D. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I had a really interesting conversation with a friend earlier today who was like, yeah, I've only ever been in one game where people focus on role play or story building. And I was like, excuse me? What do you mean? <laughs> that's like every game, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, going to that. Role playing versus, and this is, it seems to be like, it seems to be like a binary option. People say you're either good at role playing or you're good at combat, which I understand like the vagueness of it. But like in my, in my eyes, like it should almost be all role playing. And then you just so happen to fall into combat like every once in a while. So speaking on role playing and especially with new characters, new people, I should say, and you know, young kids that you're experienced with, how do you get kids to open up to like the idea of, you're not you, you're this character, go, type, you know, you're Borthlox, the dwarf. So how do you, like, experience them going through those stages of role-playing more often? Um, So it's a lot easier with younger kids, I'll say. They're super hyped about getting to have superpowers or, like, get to be a super strong character. Um, But I always offer, like, this is for home games and work games. I always offer the option, like, hey you're allowed to talk in character or in third person whatever is most comfortable for you 
um and like with a lot of the older kids that's where like the social like consciousness comes in where they're like oh it's a little bit embarrassing blah, blah, blah. um something i try to do is like when people do like really great role plays i'll be like hey like take a point of inspiration we can use that for later at any point in the game just as like little ways of like encouraging it um sure. i tend to always like home games or work games i always do like five minute shout outs at the end of my games so i'll say like oh like steve like i really liked the scene that you did or like oh like cisco like i think it's really great that like you made note to remember like this feature that you have for your class and it like really helped in this part of combat and yeah. i like to do that like just because i think having that positive encouragement for anybody is just a great way to like reinvest yourself yeah yep I totally agree with you. The the way I run an inspiration is at the beginning of every session, I'll do like a recap of the last session and then I'll give an inspiration dice to the person who did like a really good move or a really good RP. And it's it's the same thing. It's just positive reinforcement. Like, hey, you're doing really good. Here's inspiration for this next session. Um, Additionally, go ahead. Sorry. I was like, I, that's like another way I kind of get people into character is, um, what we'll do is I I kind of assign seats to my players and I'll roll a die. And that's the player who gives a recap from last session if they're comfortable. And they usually try to do it like in character. Nice. And then at work, I have like a shared playlist for each group and they can put songs on that they think represent their character. Nice. That's, that's, that's a really good idea. When it comes to role playing, I don't think people have to necessarily do a voice to be good role players either. They can just no, not at all. They can just literally like, uh, you know, they could use uh, like Zone of Truth, uh, like in a bar they're trying to talk to somebody. I use Zone of Truth to see if this guy's telling the truth. Um, They don't have to do a voice, but it could be a really good move. Like this relatively benign NPC actually knows something, and now you get to figure it out. Like I consider that to be in the realm of role playing because you're doing what your character would do. You might not be doing like an accent, which is you know common in D and D, but you're still role playing pretty well. So I. I think that's a part of it as well. So, um, you've been doing D and D for ten or five or about four years. You said, yeah. We'll kind of wrap this up with this being the last question here because it's interesting. Um, where do you see yourself with your D and D journey in five, ten, fifteen years? Oh dear God. Um... <laughs> Well, so funny thing, actually, um, I haven't told too many people, uh, as I'm about to just tell the internet, um, I recently applied for a research grant through my job um, to try and integrate and see like the benefits of D&D therapy for a lot of kids that I work with, and then hopefully make it a board-wide thing. So if I'm still with the school board, I would love it to be a board-wide practice. Um, In terms of myself... I would hope to at least still be playing one home D&D game. Because, like, as much as I love doing it for my job and streaming and stuff, I want to just have something to, like, enjoy for me. And that's my hope. Yeah, burnout, burnout's a real thing. Is Whether you're a player, I mean, you must experience the most burnout ever. But um, going back to what you originally said, what does that mean if you can get this research grant? Like, what does that, I mean, that sounds like it could be revolutionary. So explain that a little bit more. So I actually got it. I was accepted back in March, but it's oh. not starting till next school year, which is September. Um, so I think what, one thing that would make it really beneficial is it would 
A, lessen the wait time of a lot of therapies. Just because a lot of therapists we currently have aren't prepped to do group therapy too often, which like I still do individual therapy with these kids individually on the side as well. But having it in a group, I've noticed, has helped with a lot of the social skill building. So a lot of the kids that I work with with anxiety, a lot of the kids that I work with with like um, oppositional defiance disorder, like it doesn't fix them, but it helps make things more manageable on a day to day. Because like when you can learn strategies that actually help you manage symptoms in a way that you're actually invested in doing, it makes it easier to learn, right? Because it's like if you have a favorite subject, you're gonna learn that way more yep. than like one that you're like, I hate this. Like speaking as someone who skipped every biology course I ever had to take. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so like I've noticed like the kids get more invested. So when they get invested in their own therapy, like this enhances their well being, which is something that's super important to me. Yep. Yeah, so it'll fast track the whole system. Yeah, that's amazing. I can't I would have never thought having this conversation. I thought we were gonna go on, you know, you know, binary gender type thing it's kind of how i wanted to do it but now it seems like it's been more shifted towards what you're going to do for these kids and what you've been doing for dnd i think it's kind of even more it seems like you're using your platform and using dnd for the better and i'm just kind of saying hats off to you because we're just playing dungeons and dragons you're actually doing something with it so um you know much appreciated and you know good job um we'll end it there so for everyone who's watching this is uh, sensational. She's been, they've been great. I'm sorry. They've been great. Oh, no worries. Um, uh, they, like we, like we uh, showed, they're doing something in the D&D community that most of us watching are, are, are on Discord or RPD. We're not, we're doing, we're only just playing the game, which is great, but um, they're doing something that is the next level. So um, where can people find you uh, and where can they connect with you or maybe they can help you in any way? Uh, oh my goodness. Um, I mean, I mostly just do TikTok and Instagram right now, so it's just like sensationally dot me. Okay, I'm perfect. I'm not a big social media person. I just kind of vibe and exist on social media. Yeah, no, and totally respect that. But if anybody's watching this, uh, go help them out or go support them. And uh, overall, I I appreciate your time. Sensational is great. Uh, wait, actually, if if people are free Monday nights, um. On our stream for uh, Fable Collection, right now we're supporting Ukraine, so like any donations and stuff go and help it. And then if Ukraine ever comes down, we typically support Trevor, uh, the Trevor Project as well. Um, and it's really fun because when you donate, you get to mess with our DM. Of course, of course, you of course you're doing something for Ukraine because you do something for everybody. That's just one no. more example. <laughs> one more example. Um, all right, we'll end it there. I appreciate it. Um, go give some love to They Sensational, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, I'd love to come back anytime. That'd be awesome. Okay, I'll see you later. Okay, thanks, everyone. Yep, bye, guys.